At this time, KCICFM invites you to join us for our weekly live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church. All right, let's take our Bibles this morning. We are in the book of Mark, chapter 2. Mark, chapter 2, verse 13. We've been looking at the Lord Jesus, the servant. Mark presents him as a servant, and... um, We've watched all the way through. John the Baptist says, I am not worthy to be able to unlatch his shoe. Um, He is tempted by Satan early on in Mark and um, comes out sinless. Uh, He is the good news, uh, the one that ought to be preached. He is the teacher, the example. He is God come in the flesh. He has power over demons, over disease, over sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And he went forth again by the seaside, in the, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came to call the righteous, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bridegroom chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegrooms will be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man can sew a piece of new cloth on an old garment, Else the new piece that filleth it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles. Else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But But new wine must be put into new bottles. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began as they went to pluck ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did, and what he had need, and when he had need, and was in hungered, he and they that were with him? How that he went into the house of God in the days of Abithar, the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priests, and gave to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And I want you to notice in chapter 3, we won't get to it today, but I want you to notice in chapter 3 that they are out to get him because he's going, he will heal on the Sabbath. And the whole conclusion of the thing is in verse 6 of chapter 3. And the Pharisees went forth straightway, took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would use it in our hearts today. Lord, I ask for your help to be able to communicate the word of God. Lord, I'm, I'm an earthen vessel, 
and these are earthen vessels that sit before me and I pray that you would help them to listen and all of the different thoughts that are in their heads Lord that we would focus in on the Word of God and what is here before us today and may your Holy Spirit use the passages the the texts of Scripture that we consider today to teach us and to change us and to affect our thinking and how we look at life and so we pray this in Jesus name Amen. Opposition to Jesus Christ. To be in conflict with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What a shame. To not understand him, to be opposed to him, to hate him, to want to destroy him like we see in chapter 3 and verse 6. And surprisingly enough, you wouldn't expect this. It's not, it's not the world you would, if you will, that is, that is out to kill him. It's those of his own religion. It's the religious leaders and scholars of the Jewish religion that are out to kill him. Um, from time to time, I get a copy of Voice of the Martyrs magazine and most of the persecution of Christians in this world come from religious groups. And that's the way it's always been. And that's the way it'll continue to be. The great harlot um, that persecutes. Um, there's gonna be organize, organized religion that'll continually have problems with the Son of God. Catholicism has problems with the Son of God. Islam has problems with the Son of God. Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism has problems with the Son of God. Denominational organization, in many cases, has problems with the Son of God. State churches have problems with the Son of God. This church, back in the early years, had a situation where we had borrowed as a church from the American Baptist denomination of which the church was a part back before 1950 we had borrowed two hundred dollars and that was a lot of money in those days because the the budget for the church for the whole year was seven hundred and fifty dollars right so so to borrow two hundred dollars but the church paid it back we paid that all back to the denomination and somebody wisely kept the receipt for that in a safety deposit box. And down the line, there came a disgruntled pastor, former pastor of Pear Park, James Martin. And uh, he sought to get the church in trouble with the denomination and accused the church of, of veering from the principles of the denomination and that the denomination should come and take the building. And, and because we had borrowed money there was a good possibility they had the right to do to take the building that had been built by the offerings of the people of this church. But fortunately, the church member, and I forget their name, had that, had that receipt in their safety deposit box and was able to present that to prove the money had been paid back. And in addition, because of the crooked way in which the former pastor had, had gone about 
the whole process, the church was able to save their properties, which was at one time, it was an acre of property given here on this corner to this church, and the old church building sat in the courtyard. But opposition from, from their own denomination, later this church came out of that, became independent of all of that. But we want to talk about today this misunderstanding, this conflict with the Son of God in various stages or various forms here that we see in the passage of Scripture today. We're going to see a conflict with Christ's purpose. We're going to see a conflict with Christ's program, with Christ's practice, and with his person right here in the text of Scripture that we've seen here. So let's jump in. Let's talk about the conflict with Christ's purpose. And uh, there is a need, and we see the good in the beginning in verses 13 and 14, and what people later on in the text, as we get down to verse 17, 15, 16 and 17, the conflict that is here with these people. But we see some good things. To not be in conflict with, with the Son of God, with Jesus Christ, we first of all need a responsiveness to Jesus. You see that in verse 13. And it, he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. What a precious, precious picture. People seeking Jesus. You shall seek me and find me if you search for me with all your heart. You know, they resorted to him. They came to him from all over. Matter of fact, one point in, in Luke 5, they, it, there were so many people, he had to get into a boat and teach from the boat. But to have that kind of hunger. Wednesday night, we talked about the heart of the person who wants to learn from Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72. And uh, to just have that heart of a learner, to seek Christ, to want to learn about him. <clears throat> Somebody was telling me today about somebody who, who they said, I think this person, they're, they're seeking. I think they're ready. They need to, hear about, need to hear more about Christ so they can be saved. Well, man, I'm, I'm prayerful. I'm excited about going and maybe talking to this person. Um, I uh, uh, had a phone call uh, from somebody who listened to the Wednesday night message about a person who, out, out of Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72, uh, the heart of the learner. And this person isn't even a member of this church, but they just love to learn the word of God. And they just, that really rang with them when they heard that because they have a heart of a learner. Matter of fact, they say, man, I need, I need to get some CDs of that. I'm going to give that out to my friends. And, and, and it's not so much because of the message, it's because of the theme that was there to just have a heart to learn the word of God. So if you're going to be in agreement with Christ... It goes along with seeking him. It also goes along with submitting to him. Take a look at verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom. That's, that's the tax office. Um, that's not a happy place. I remember years ago being audited. And, uh, man, that is not something I wish on anybody. And... Um, Got to go down there and meet with our friendly um, IRS agent and uh, go through my checkbook. And he, they were looking at my giving to the church. And uh, it was all there. And then I had, a I had the giving receipt from the church. So I was, I was good, free and clear. But you know, the tax office. Mm. But you know, in this day, when you had an occupying nation, Rome, occupying Israel, 
and the hatred that the Jews had for the Roman government, and then to have one of their own, Matthew or Levi, go to work for the Roman government to take taxes from the Jewish people. There was nothing lower than this in the eyes of the Jewish people. And Jesus passed by this tax collector. He's sitting at the receipt of custom. He's at work. And he said to him, Two words, follow me. What in the world? Jesus is asking a tax collector, the low of the low, to follow him? What is going on? And he arose and followed him. You know what? There's just something amazing here. Amazing because of this man's reputation. Amazing because of his response. You know, for Christ to call a tax collector. What a shock. It happens again with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus the tax collector, chief of the tax collectors, sitting in a tree. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I must abide at your house. And everybody's jaw just dropped. What in the world is Jesus doing? That's a tax collector. They're the lowest of the lows. As a matter of fact, in Scripture, there'll be the comparison. You know, the publicans and harlots, the Scripture will say. It's like the woman at the well. You've had five husbands. The fellow you're living with now is not your husband. I mean, low. And Jesus says, follow me. What an amazing thing. But Jesus knows hearts. You know, what a, what a wonderful thing Christ can do for people. There's nobody. There's nobody so low. There's nobody got into so much sin that Jesus Christ can't save them. I'm telling you. My, I've given the illustration before, but forgive me for giving it again. My, my wife's grandfather, hard, unbelieving old man, so caustic towards the things of God, Yet in the nursing home, he watched on television a testimony of a lady who had been a former prostitute who had gotten saved. And when Grandpa saw that, he thought, you know what? If she can get saved, I can get saved. And the old guy got saved in the nursing home. Doesn't matter if you're a druggie or an alcoholic. Doesn't matter if you've been immoral in all sorts of ways. Doesn't matter if you've been a thief or an abuser of people or even a murderer or a tax collector. Christ can save you. What a blessing. An amazing thing here. That's his purpose. He came to seek the lost. It's amazing because of Matthew's response or Levi's response. He got up and followed him. Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 5, I think it's verse 27, it says this. And after these things he went forth, he saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. By the way, this thing about Matthew following Jesus, where Jesus just calls a, math, a tax collector and he follows him, is, is such an amazing thing. It's found in all three of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Luke's gospel, it says in Luke 5, 28, when, when he got the call to follow Jesus, he left all, rose up, and followed him. He turned his back on his job. He walked off the job. He began to follow Jesus that day. Here's a person who's not in conflict with Jesus. He submitted to the Lord. He's willing to follow. 
You know what? There are people who are following religion, but they're not following Jesus. Oh, the religion talks about Jesus all the time, but the, but the religion wants to make you know that you're following the religion, not Jesus. I have a person, an acquaintance that I've been talking to, and, and uh, um, I was talking with this individual, and the person told me, yeah, I was in the Lutheran church, but I wanted to find the right way. I really wanted to get down and get to the truth. So I became a Catholic. So we had a good long talk. We talked about Christ and the importance of him being the way, the truth, and the life. Versus just following a religion, an organization. Listen. To be in agreement with Christ, you need to be in agreement with and be responsive to his purpose. You need to be in recognition of his purpose also. And we see that as we move into verses 15 and 16. So it came to pass that it, Jesus sat at meat in the house and many publicans and sinners sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. We need to understand the work of Christ. You see it right here. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with the publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, I think they were chicken to come to Jesus. How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? We got a conflict here. But I want you to note, there are many. There are many publicans and sinners. And their motive? They're following him. You see it at the end of the verse. What an opportunity. What an opportunity to be able to reach the many that have a real need. My first time to the Philippines, uh, when we went on those different trips, those four years, and, and um, Brother Reddick came to me and he says, look, we're going we're gonna, to um, go to a, a school, and uh, when we pull up in front of the school, you're going to be the preacher. When you pull up in front of the school, I want you to get out of the car and go straight in the door. There'll be a sidewalk there. You go right in. Don't, don't linger on the sidewalk. We just want to get you in there and get those doors shut. They didn't want people seeing me come to, the, to that school. So we pulled up in front of the school. They opened the doors. I got out of the car, jumped up, went right in. They closed the doors. I got in behind those doors, and I looked. I think maybe Tim was with me at the time. I looked, and there was between 800 and 1,000 Catholic young people sitting there ready to go. And I got up in front of them and gave them the gospel and gave an invitation, and many responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an opportunity in a Catholic school. It was such a big deal that there was somebody from the, the newspaper that actually, I mean, they wanted to keep it secret, but that the newspaper got a hold of it and wrote a positive article about what happened there that day at that Catholic school in the Philippines. What an opportunity. Um, here, there are a lot of people that need Jesus. And what a great opportunity. There's the many. Jesus is meeting with these people. By the way, in the passage of Scripture, you know, there's publicans and sinners, and Jesus and his disciples are meeting with them. You know what? I, as a pastor, I would tell our young people, hey, young people, be careful. Be careful with the crowd you hang around with. Whoso walketh with wise men shall be wise. A companion of fools shall be destroyed, right? I'm a companion of all them that fear thee, of all those who keep your precepts, right? 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Be careful who you sit with. Be careful who you hang around with. Be not deceived. Evil company, evil companions, corrupt good manners, good morals. Watch out, young people. Watch out, old people. Be careful of the crowd you hang around with. So what's Jesus doing here? Well, he's not following them. They're following him. They're there to learn about the God of heaven, about the Son of God. And so he's meeting with them. He's not there to learn their wicked ways. He's there to save them from their wicked ways. And when we meet with people and when we, when we have contacts with people, it's not to learn and do their wicked ways and to be like them. It's to reach them for Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, if a person is tempted to be led astray by their wicked ways, they shouldn't be associating with them. But if they're there to reach them for Christ, genuinely are able to reach them for Christ, then, then yeah, they need to be reaching them for Christ. That's his purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's out looking for the one lost sheep that can be saved. This is his purpose, and this is what they're in conflict with. And you go down now to the passage, and we continue. How is it that he eats and drinks with publicans and sinners? That's how. And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician. Don't you like it? The physician. You know, to understand the wisdom of Christ, he's the doctor the doctor's there for sick people. The doctor doesn't just go for, you know, go to work every day to hang around healthy people. A doctor goes to deal with sick people. And Christ came to reach sick people in their sin for Christ. The publicans, the harlots, people like the apostle Paul <clears throat> back in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, it says this, Paul says, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he adds this, of whom I'm chief. And he really believed that. A murderer of Christians, so bitter, so vengeful, and Christ saved him. You know, this, this man, the apostle Paul, was the one who turned his back on religion to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching a law of Pharisee. I mean, he had it all, all the religion a person could want. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. Nay, doubtless, he counted all these things loss, all of his religion loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. He counted that religion as dung so that he might win Christ and be found in him, not having his own righteousness, which was of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness of God by faith, to have Jesus Christ and his righteousness and all of the religion on the dung heap. They don't understand this. And in the passage of Scripture, you see here, they, they just don't recognize his purpose. 
And then there's something else that is needed. If you're to be in agreement with Christ and his purpose, you need that last word of verse 17. I came not to call the righteous. All of these religious people with all of their good stuff and all of their laws and rules that they keep, I came to call sinners to repentance. Repentance. A change of mind. Change of mind about hell. That hell's a real place and the wrath of God is a real thing and the wrath of God is coming and it's going to come to this earth. You read in the book of Revelation 15, Revelation 15, 16, and you read about the wrath of God. The wrath of God. It's a frightening thing to have a different attitude about that. Have a different attitude about sin. That it is truly, truly an offense to God. To have a different attitude about how a person becomes righteous. Not by keeping laws, but by, by receiving the, the, the perfect one, the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And to be serious about all of this and to come under such conviction and to turn from sin to the Savior and put your faith in him. Like it said back in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Recognize the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Recognize the, the message of forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. Recognize what Cornelius and his household found out that, that it's for all, forgiveness for all, even Gentiles can be forgiven. And to recognize the heart of the Lord, that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if they don't, they're going to perish in a devil's hell for all eternity. A devil's hell for all eternity. To repent of all of the wicked things, the strife and the selfish ambition and the sexual immorality and the sensuality and all of the filthiness. And like it talks about in Revelation chapter 9 verse 21, the idolatry and the sorcery and the theft. To turn to Christ and turn from sin, the wicked lifestyle that is such an offense to a holy God. They were in conflict with all of this because they were all about their sin. That brings us to number two, verse 18. The disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come to him saying, why did the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bridegroom chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? You know... There are people who are in conflict with Christ's purpose. They want religion, not a relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't want repentance from sin. They want to keep their sin and have their religion. It's, there's a conflict with those people. There's a conflict with Christ's program and what Christ is doing. They don't understand his role with his people, as you see here. And they don't understand his relationship with his people. In the passage of Scripture, these People come, the, the, these Pharisees, and they say, why, 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 don't you, why don't your disciples fast? John's do. The Pharisees do. Why don't yours? 
Well, remember John the Baptist? What was John all about? John was pre pre preparing the way for the Lord. All the prophets were until, and the law were until John. And John was really the conclusion of all of the law and the prophets. That law that was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And, and, and the law that was preached by John brought guilt, brought condemnation, demanded repentance. It's like it says in the book of James, chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 8, in the middle of the verse. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. I could hear John the Baptist preaching this, even though it's, it's in James. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Fast over brokenness of, in, of, because of sin. Yeah, very appropriate for John and his disciples to be fasting. The people would be broken over their sin. What about the Pharisees? These separated ones. You know what? These guys, the Pharisees, Pharisees meant separated ones. They had come, they had, they had developed out of the, out of, the Hellenistic ideas that were in, in Israel back when Alexander the Great had come through in 300 B.C. and uh, had conquered. He, everywhere he went, he tried, brought the Greek culture with him, which wasn't always good. They called it Hellenism. So he brought, the, he Hellenized the Jews. Well, there was a, there was a reaction from the Jews against this. And out of that came the Pharisees, these separated ones, who separated from the wicked, ungodly, worldly, Greek culture. But down through the time, they began to come up with all kinds of different rules and laws and different stipulations that people had to follow, and they became very proud of it. Matter of fact, they even said this, it says the Mishnah states that the oral law, that those, these, these traditions that they had come up with, these specifications, the oral law must be observed with greater stringency than the written law. In other words, we've got to follow our own little rules versus the word of God because these affect the life of the ordinary man more intimately and, than the remote constitutional law, the Torah. We've got to keep these little stipulations, these rules that we come up with because they're more important to everyday life than the, than the, than the if, we, if we can put it in this vernacular, than the Bible. And so it became a very corrupt thing where these people, I mean, they are, they are cheating widows out of their houses and, and making long prayers. And Christ calls them like, like whited sepulchers inside. The, outside they look real beautiful, but inside they're full of dead man's bones. And when they make a convert, they make him twofold more a child of hell than themselves. I mean, Jesus had some strong words for this, this outward facade religion that was just as wicked and corrupt as any else, anything else in the world. And the legalism of the, the Pharisees, why did they fast? To be seen of men. Matthew chapter 6, they give their alms, they blow the trumpet and put, it in, put in their gifts so everybody sees. They stand on the street corners and pray. 
loud prayers so everybody sees that they are spiritual. And then they fast. They put on their sackcloth and they, they put on a, well, a face kind of like I am right now. Man, I am so hungry I could die. After I preach once, I'm ready to eat. Man, they put a man there. The sackcloth. Everybody knows they're fasting and they do it to be seen of men. Whoa, whoa, whoa. John the Baptist, I get that. The Pharisee fasting is just wicked. But what about, how come Jesus and his disciples, how come they don't fast? Well, because the bridegroom's with them. Ah, we just finished Song of Solomon. We saw the, we saw the bride and her thrill with the bridegroom. She's saying, draw me. He's coming. And there's such an excitement and rejoicing in the bridegroom and the friends of the bridegroom, the, the, the maidens, man, they're so excited too. As the bridegroom's coming. There's no time for fasting. I mean, you go to a wedding, you don't go to fast, right? My sister-in-law, when she got married, her daddy was a wealthy man and married my brother. And so at her wedding, her daddy rented out this great big southern mansion for her. And, I mean, had all of the stuff, man, the hors d'oeuvres like were to kill for. And, uh, you know, the big ch chocolate fountain with all the strawberries. And, I mean, every room had food in it. It's like you talk about fasting, man. You fast just so you can come and pig out at the wedding, right? A wedding is not a time to be fasting. I mean, you're coming in there, all of this stuff. It's like, woohoo! The bridegroom's here. It's not a time for fasting. It's a time for rejoicing. And these people are in complete conflict with this. There's going to come a time, as it says in verse 20, when the bridegroom's going to be taken away, and then they're going to fast. Christ is taken away. Life's going to be rough. And so, what a difference. What a difference. What a conflict to, to, to serve and to love the Lord. And they have no comprehension of this. They have no comprehension that, that Christ, the Son of God, is with them. And they're in conflict with him. You see, not only do they have a conflict with his, with his role, but they have a conflict as a bridegroom, but with his, with his people and a relationship with him. He gives a couple of parables here in verses 21 and 22. It talks about a man sewing a patch on a, on a garment, and you have an old garment and a new patch. And when you wash it, you know, one shrinks and, and it tears. It tears the garment. Or you have a man putting wine, new wine, into old wineskins. And the old wineskins, man, they're wore out. They aren't going to be able to handle the new wine. They're going to burst. And you'll lose the wine. So you've got to put new wine and new wineskins to be able to preserve both. And the whole point of the thing is this. The law came by Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, John chapter 1, verse 17. And God set up a covenant with his people in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, where that nation would be his special people and would be his priestly nation. And he would teach the whole world about himself through this nation. And that's what the whole Old Testament's about. It's all of God's dealings with the people of Israel as the priestly nation. And, and how, how they, you know, his laws. How when they, when they sin and how he deals with them. All of that was there. But, but that arrangement, that testament, that old covenant was not big enough to handle what the Lord would do with Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ and the grace of Christ. How would the Gentiles fit into that Old Testament? And so there's a new program. And oh, what a program. The law was simply a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. 
The, the Spirit of God comes, and the, old, the, the, the people that follow the Old Judaism and the Old Testament law, they have a veil on their face. They don't get it, but now we, with open face, beholding and as a glass, the, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same glory from, or same, same thing from, same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord and the Spirit of God working in our, in our lives. And it's such a bigger thing than the Old Testament law was with just the people of Israel. We are free. And in the book of Ephesians, the Lord talks about this. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. He says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That's the old covenant. Strangers from the covenants of promise. We didn't have a part of that, having no hope without God in the world. It was limited to Jews. But now, Verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 2, or verse 13 of Ephesians 2. Now in Christ Jesus, you who are sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He's our peace who's made both one and hath broken down the middle of wall partition between us. He abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments contained in the ordinance to make in himself of twain one new man. So making peace. It's not Jew and Gentile. It's now the church of Christ, and we're all in him, and it's big. God's reconciled both in one body. He came and preached peace to us who are far off, and through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And we're no more, verse 19, strangers and foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. What a wonderful thing. What a program. These people don't get that. Matter of fact, when Paul is in the temple and the mob about kills him and, they, and the Romans come in and take him out and he's standing on the steps and he gives his testimony, he finishes with this and he says, the Lord has sent me to the Gentiles and they pop their cork, man, they're ready to kill him again. Because they can't stand this idea that Gentiles could be the people of God too. They don't understand the program. And you know what? There are people today who are in conflict with Jesus Christ because they're trying to, they're trying to put the, shoe, the foot in a shoe that doesn't fit. And they're going back and they're trying to take all of that Old Testament covenant and, and, and try to somehow put that shoe on Christianity. And it doesn't fit. Hence, Seventh-day Adventism and keeping the law on the seventh day. Hence, Baby baptism, you know, the sprinkling and trying to bring those things in, and it doesn't fit. And the ceremonies, this covenant family thing where they say, you know, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promises are passed down, and they try to say today that, you know, we have covenant family today. No, we don't. You come, you must be born again. You must be born again. You can't just ride in on your parents' coattails or some kind of family heritage that you had. You personally have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's New Testament Christianity. No priest. We don't have a priest. I mean, we are priests individually before Christ, and he is our priest, but we don't have some sort of priesthood that you might find in the Mormon religion or in the Catholic religion. No, that's, that's trying to put that Old Testament onto Christianity. Even replacement theology, and they just they're in conflict with Jesus Christ. 
And so they don't, they're in conflict with Christ over his purpose to save lost sinners. They're in conflict with Christ when it comes to the program, what he's doing, his relationship with his people. And they're in conflict with Christ when it comes to the practice. And Jesus and his disciples, it says in verse 23, came to pass that as he went through the cornfields, these are grain fields like, like barley or oats, on the Sabbath day, his disciples began as they went to pluck ears of corn. So they're, they're just walking by a barley field and they're just grabbing some, some, some of those grains of head, heads of grain and they're eating it as they go. They're not harvesting. Um, they're just eating some grain. That was permitted by the law, Deuteronomy 23, 25. Um, the Pharisees are in conflict with this. Verse 24, why do they, on the Sabbath day, that which is not lawful? Well, they're breaking the Pharisee laws, but they're not breaking God's law. And Jesus gives them an answer. They, they have a problem with the actions here. By the way, these people with their laws could be so twisted they could do this. Matthew 27, verse 6. Matthew 27, verse 6 says this. They're so twisted they could do this. The chief priest took the silver pieces that Judas had thrown in the temple, the blood money, the betrayal money. They took that money and said it's not lawful. There's their law. It's not lawful to put them in the treasury because it's the price of blood. These murderers are concerned about violating ceremonial law. They're so twisted and such conflict. Well, here's Jesus with his disciples. And Jesus defends his disciples. He says, have you never read, and back in Mark 2, 25, you've never read what David did when he was in, had need and was a hungered and they that were with him, and how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the priest and did show and eat the showbread. He went into the tabernacle, into the holy place, and he ate the showbread, and the priest gave it to them to eat. And you read that passage back in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6, and the priest is very careful to make sure that David and his men have kept themselves clean, ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean, and, and was at least respectful to the holy things of God. But that bread that was only for the priest was given to David and his men to eat for this one reason, for mercy. Matter of fact, in Mar Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 12, verse 7, where the same text, is, the same account is, is listed, there's more details. He says... Verse 7 of Matthew chapter 12, If you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. And then he talks about in verse 11 about, about helping an animal that's fallen to a pit on the Sabbath day. In other words, what, what's going on here is this. He's quoting from a passage in Hosea that God would have mercy more than sacrifice and all of the ceremonial law. And he wants the knowledge of God. And these guys are completely out of touch with this. They've forgotten any mercy to the widow when they, when they steal her house. But they're going to follow all of their little thing and tie their mint and come in and anise and all of these things. But they're going to be, they're just as wicked as all get out underneath with no mercy. 
And it is in such conflict with Jesus Christ. The Sabbath was not made for man. Our Sabbath was not, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath is a rest. And it was given to man to, 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 for his rest. It was also given as a sign to Israel that they are the people of God. But there's a complete misunderstanding of the mercy of Christ here. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you'd use it in our hearts, Lord, that this might be our endeavor, might be our expectation. Lord, as we look forward, we live a life of anticipation. Father, help us with it. God, help us not to become absorbed into the world or the world into us, but Lord, that we might be in the word of God and the word in us, not the world. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior, that they would just come to the end of themselves and trust you. Get that taken care of. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our weekly live broadcast from Para Park Baptist Church. We pray the service was a blessing to all our listeners. Our earnest prayer is that you personally have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10:13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'd like to trust Christ, you must first believe that you're a sinner, deserving of God's judgment, and that Christ died to pay God's penalty for your sin, and that he rose again from the dead then you may right now pray. And according to Romans 10.13, call upon God and ask for salvation through Jesus Christ. If you've made a decision to trust Christ, let us know. The number of the offices at Fair Park Baptist Church is 434-4113. Someone's generally available to take calls during regular weekday business hours. In addition, the best means to spiritual help and growth is through faithful attendance at a Bible-believing church. We would encourage you to be at the very next service of Pear Park Baptist Church. Our weekly prayer meeting and Bible study is at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. Sunday schools at 10 o'clock a.m. Sunday mornings with the worship service at 11 and at 6.30 p.m. the evening service. Pear Park Baptist Church is a fundamental Bible-preaching and Bible-believing church located here in Grand Junction at 3102 E Road. And once again, we appreciate your joining us for this live broadcast of Pear Park Baptist Church.